It's Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day to all you couples out there and to you single people. I hope a few of you get lucky tonight. Welcome back to the swamp, my friends. It's good to see you made it back for another episode. Today, I'm going to be sharing some creepy and allegedly true Valentine's Day horror stories. If you have a story that you would like to share in a future video, please be sure to send it in at swampdwellers.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I'd love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. It's stories like yours that truly help keep this show going. Now, without further ado, let's get into these creepy and allegedly true Valentine's Day Horror Stories. This is probably the weirdest experience that has ever happened to me. This is causing a lot of trauma in my life and has made it very difficult for me to date like a normal person. Let me give you some background. I am a 23-year-old woman and I live in a small town in rural Mississippi. I know everyone in the town and they all know me. I never quite fit in with the small town scene. It was not that I was against it or anything, but there was just not anyone I really clicked with. I had lots of friends, but I was still completely alone for as long as I can remember. A couple of years ago, I started dating a guy who I met on Tinder. He was from a couple of towns over and was not the best looking guy in the world, but I do not let something like that stop me. I just wanted to know if he was nice and compatible with me. So we went on a couple of dates. It did not go horribly, I guess. He was a perfect gentleman, and every time, he never pressured me into doing anything that I did not feel comfortable with which I really appreciate. So after about three weeks of casual dates here and there, we made the decision that we really had something here. We had both deleted our Tinder accounts together and started spending more time with each other. Honestly, I thought we had a real chance of having a lasting relationship. But as time went by, I noticed that he was weird. And not the I watch conspiracy theory documentaries on Netflix kind of weird. I mean, I saw some real signs of various mental illnesses. Some of them include narcissistic personality disorder, bipolar disorder, with some extreme episodes of anxiety and depression, and he would eventually go insane over some of these things that stressed him out. So, one of the times that he got into these episodes was when his uncle was going to visit. His parents asked him to sleep on the couch so his uncle could sleep in his bed. He had a literal mental breakdown. I remember me and him texting back and forth and he was asking me if it was a good idea to physically attack him or start a fight. A few more incidents like that and I knew I had to end this relationship. As much as I want to help people, I really do not want to sacrifice my own well-being for the sake of helping anyone else. It was probably three or four weeks into our relationship that I made the decision. I asked him if he wanted to get some coffee and he agreed. We broke up and he took it rather well, which surprised me. I was expecting him to have a breakdown, and while he did look sad, he did not act inappropriately towards me at all. He had a solid frown on his face, then he walked away. I felt bad for doing it, but that was the decision that I made, and I have to live with it, but it was for the best. Now we'll get into the weird part. In a couple of weeks that we have been dating, he had never been to my house and had no idea where I lived. That is going to be important to remember a little bit later on. We probably broke up around April or so, and it seems to be somewhere in that time frame at least. So, 
you can understand the terror that washed over my face when I saw his car parked in my driveway almost a year later. On Valentine's Day, it had been so long since I had last seen him, I did not even recognize his car at first. You can bet your rear end that I had my pistol with me ready to protect myself, especially because my parents were not home. Remember, I live in rural Mississippi. People do not just randomly show up at your house who live two towns away. It just does not happen like that. He got out of his car holding flowers. I could not believe it. What the heck is wrong with this guy, I thought. I walked up to him making sure to keep my pistol out of sight. I did not want to alarm him, but I was ready to defend myself if need be. His face looked strange. He looked like he had not slept in days. He also looked like he was really struggling and uncomfortable. I asked him what he was doing here after we just kind of looked at each other for about a minute. Then he just said, Will you be my valentine? The moment he began to speak, I knew he was intoxicated, and it honestly frightens me. I had heard too many horror stories that start out exactly this way. I pulled my gun out and pointed it at him. I screamed no, go the hell home, and never come back. He genuinely seemed startled at the sight of the gun. Then, he got into his car and drove away. But as he ran, I noticed he dropped something metal in a hurry. It must have been just barely nudged into his pocket. After he had sped off, I waited for a few minutes just to make sure he was gone. Then I walked over toward the object he had dropped on the floor. I could not make it out at first because of the darkness. I picked it up and put it under my phone light. I was mortified. It was a pair of metal handcuffs. Just imagine how much he must have thought about me. Just imagine how much time he has thought about me. That he waited all this time, building up the nerve to just randomly show up at my house with a pair of freaking handcuffs ready to do who knows what to me. It was honestly quite terrifying. I called the police and reported him for being a creep. They could not really do anything seeing as he did not commit a crime. So I made sure to tell my family and friends to watch out for him if they ever see his vehicle around. I just imagine how different my life would be if I had not been armed that night. I was all alone and my parents would not have been home for hours. There was a solid chance of him kidnapping me and me becoming someone you see on a true crime documentary. This has been a big reminder for me, and let it be a lesson for anyone listening right now. If you are defenseless and alone in the middle of nowhere, make sure that you have at least some way of protecting yourself, because I am sure I'm not the only girl in the world he is ever going to try this stunt on. It all started on the 7th of February. The small, independent coffee shop I was working at decided to throw up a few decorations for Valentine's Day. So I and a few colleagues had spent pretty much our entire shift putting up pink and red bunting, writing romantic quotations around the edges of our blackboard menu, and other romantically themed stuff. It was a fun way to spend a shift, but as I clocked out and began the short walk back to my flat, I began to feel a slight pang of loneliness, knowing I would be single and alone on the day itself. I considered Tinder, or Bumble, to try to bag myself a date, but the chances of securing myself a boy that I genuinely liked over the next seven days were slim to none, so I resigned myself to another Valentine's Day on my own. 
But when I got home to a pink envelope in my mailbox, I must admit that it brought a little smile to my face. A secret admirer, like something right out of the cheap romantic paperback. It might not be every girl's cup of tea, but to be honest, it really cheered me up, even if it was from a friend or the nice lady that lived in the ground floor flat. Only, when I opened the thing up, it just says, seven days to go. No romantic message, no kisses or hearts, just those three words scrawled hastily onto the paper. It is then I realized there is nothing on the envelope or the paper it contained that confirmed it was addressed to me. No name, no address, nothing. I started to feel a tad silly, like what if it was not meant for me at all? What if someone had sent their little Valentine's card to the wrong person? I told myself I was just being silly, but kept the envelope and card as I walked upstairs to my flat and got on with my evening. I honestly think I had forgotten the whole thing by the next morning when I got up and set off to work again. But when I got home, there was a stark reminder that this was no mistake. Arriving back at my flat, I checked my mailbox to find yet another pink envelope inside. Not only that, but a small brown paper package was stuffed inside too. Again, I must admit to being kind of excited about the whole thing. There definitely had not been a mistake of address or anything. I mean, the person must have had to put all that stuff in there themselves. Maybe I really did have a secret admirer, and that Valentine's was about to become something out of a fairy tale. But as I opened the package, I knew something was not quite right. Inside was a small brown teddy bear, only it was not newly bought, nor had it been looked after very well in what was obviously a long and grubby existence. To be frank, was filthy. The thing looked like it had not been washed in years, decades even. The fur was all grimy and matted together, and one of the glass eyes was missing, probably having been pulled out by a child some years before. The note inside the envelope was pretty much the same as the last one, only this time it read, six days to go. That is about the time I realized that whoever was sending these was not exactly all there and what had previously been some kind of giddy excitement turned into nervous anticipation. The more I let my mind dwell on it, the more and more frightened I became. This was not going to be some dream romance, in fact it was more likely going to be the opposite. I told my friend at work about the whole thing, and they seemed to take it much more seriously than I had. They told me I obviously had a stalker, and that even if this person was doing this stuff out of affection, it was still crossing several personal boundaries, and I should consider contacting the police. But what do I even tell them exactly? That I had a note addressed to no one, from no one, with no other details than I found them in my mailbox? Alright, it was not exactly the dream romantic gesture that I wanted, but I, I don't know. But at the same time, why cause someone the distress of calling the cops on them? That felt a bit cruel. But after returning home that evening to something else in my apartment, I did not feel so apprehensive about contacting them. I arrived home again that evening to find exactly what I expected in my mailbox. Another note. This time reading, yep, you guessed it, five days to go. I stormed up to my apartment, grabbed a piece of notebook paper and a sharpie, and wrote out something along the lines of, whoever is leaving stuff in my mailbox, please stop. It was sweet at first, but now it's kind of creepy. No more, or I call the police. 
I tried not to come across as too rude or aggressive, but I also needed to make it clear that I really, really did not appreciate their unwanted attention. I taped the note to the front entrance of my apartment building before I went to bed, hoping whoever it was would get the message and just leave me alone. So, a little side note, I take a shower before bed every single night, without fail. I am also sort of a clean freak. I keep my bathroom pretty much spotless, so as I finish getting washed, something small catches my eye. Something that might not even gain the attention of most people. But to me, it stuck out like a sore thumb. A flash of color in what is an otherwise pristine white bathroom on the window ledge was a tiny, glassy dome shape that just sat there on its own. I approached it curiously, peering down at it for a moment before I completely freaked out and ran out of the bathroom and called the cops. It was a small, glass eye, a minuscule amount of fabric woven into the back of it. I recognized it almost instantly as the missing eye from the teddy bear that I would have found in my freaking mailbox. While I was on the phone with the police, I realized a few things about my prospective Valentine. As I said, I get a shower every evening before bed. I like hot showers, the steamier the better, so naturally the bathroom window spends a lot of time ajar to let out the moisture. Whoever managed to put that glass eye on my bathroom window ledge had known about my evening routine. They had obviously been watching me for long enough to work out that they knew the exact time to place that thing there so I would see it. But it was their method that really creeped me out. The way they had used the small, Teddy's eye to tell me in so many words that they were watching me. I swapped the note out I had written for one that simply said, The police have been contacted. Leave me alone. And leave me alone they did. But the whole thing had a serious effect on my psyche for a long time afterward. Sometimes I would find myself staring at someone in the coffee shop or someone walking past my flat, wondering if it were them, if one day they would come back. And maybe one day they would look over at me and smile, and I would just know they'd not given up just yet. So I and my boyfriend were fans of nautical history, so we decided to spend our Valentine's Day in 2007 on the Queen Mary. As I'm sure most of you are aware, it is reported to be haunted. That was also kind of the appeal to us, but mostly we both have a bachelor's in European history, so it is cool to just go there in general. Anyway, we got a historical suite, meaning it was most likely one of the ones that was there on the original ship when it was commissioned, aside from an old TV. The first night, which was Valentine's Day, we stayed there. We both woke up to what sounded like drawers in the built-in dresser being opened and slammed shut repeatedly. We are both not the types to freak out and run, but I cannot really say we were both so low-key that we just acknowledged it. Eventually, we made sure that we were both okay and went back to sleep. Maybe because it was truly alarming at the time, Maybe we just trusted that if we were both okay, then everything was okay. I do not know, but we were pretty creeped out. At that time, though, we did not know the history of the room. The next day, we went on a ghost tour. It turns out, we were sleeping in the second most haunted room on the ship. The room next door was Churchill's suite, where he planned battles during World War II. 
While we did not experience the cigar smoke or smell that many have reported staying in that room, it was still interesting that without knowing our room was even haunted, we experienced hauntings. We had some weird camera malfunctions in the engine room as well. We also noticed a creepy or aggressive feeling in an old museum room on the ship which we only found because we tried to get into an unlocked room on the ship. It's honestly just felt like somebody was creeping behind our backs. But again, I have no real proof of anything. Thanks for sharing our story on your program, and I hope it was creepy enough for everybody who listened. I've been a fan of the paranormal for some time. I recently worked as a haunted tour guide in downtown Dallas, covering areas such as the Grassy Knoll, Texas School Book Department, etc. One of the locations I stopped at was the Hotel Lawrence, which has at least four documented murders, all occurring on the 10th floor, in rooms that you can still stay in. My girlfriend decided to get us a room for Valentine's Day, since it was such a big part of my life at the time. We checked in the hotel, and knew right away it was more of an antique hotel rather than a refurbished hotel from the past. The hotel took 10 minutes to arrive. Our room was a smoking room, and our TV was a tube TV with an antenna. We brought back food and booze. It was Valentine's Day after all. We proceeded to relax, play music, and enjoy our day. I tried to open a window, but it was locked. I tried revoking the lock and moving it around, but it just wouldn't open. We joked about it and continued our evening, heading out to eat later, coming home for more drinks and watching ghost adventures. In the morning we packed. I was beginning to feel stomach cramps, but disregarded it. As we began to head home, my stomach cramps turned to chills, a fever, and soon a headache from hell. I got home and laid down. That night I had to go to work at midnight. As I am in the shower, I realize I have these thin scratches all across my torso. There's three of them to be exact, one on each side of my stomach and one on my chest. For the next two days, I battled feelings of sickness, mostly stomach pain, like I had just been punched hard. My girlfriend and I argued almost every single night over the smallest of issues. I could not sleep either. I went around three days on about four hours of total sleep. The headache was so bad and constant, and the pull string on our center window blinds would always sway without anything going. There was no fan, no wind to make it move. Then, one day, it just all stopped. The pain, the arguing, the sleepless nights, everything. Almost at a sign of what could happen if I were to mock the paranormal again. Since then, I quit my haunted history tour and vowed never again to stay in a hotel that is haunted. I've had my warning. This was a few years back in high school, a little bit after Valentine's Day, that will make more sense with the story once I continue. My friend decided to come over and stay at my house for the night. Everything was going great. We were watching random stuff on my TV, and I'm pretty sure it was some sort of movie. We were both sitting on the floor and the craziest thing happened. The balloons that my boyfriend at the time got me for Valentine's Day got pulled all the way to the ground out of nowhere. 
and then they just floated back up as something tugged it down. We were both really freaked out, so I decided to move to the other side of my friend and stay far away from the balloons and continued watching the movie. Maybe 10 to 15 minutes later, we heard tapping on my window. We were getting shaken up about everything going down and we tried to calm each other down. There is no way someone could casually come tap on my window because I live on the third floor. After calming each other down, we kept watching stuff on my TV, trying to ignore everything that was happening. Now, I know my mom said our house was haunted, but I never experienced things as crazy as that. We heard footsteps occasionally, and I would open my door to check if anyone were walking around and no one ever was. It started to get late. It was almost 5.45am, so we decided to try and lay down and get some rest, but something did not want us to. My friend was sleeping on the floor, so I gave her some blankets and some pillows to get comfortable. As we were laying down, we started to hear banging footsteps on my roof. We were terrified. I whispered to my friend, Did you hear that? And she replied, Yes, but I'm, I'm gonna ignore it. So, that is what I tried to do, but it would not stop, and it kept getting louder. So we made the brave decision to take our blankets and run all the way down to the kitchen. The creepiest thing was that when we started leaving the room, the footsteps followed us all the way to the stairs, then stopped, and suddenly began walking away. We did not go back in my room for at least two hours. My mom checked out my room and told me it was probably a squirrel, but my friend and I both knew a squirrel could not have that kind of power to create such strong footsteps. I still hear things in my room, but nothing as terrifying as that. I hate telling this story, not only because of how traumatic it was for me, but because it shows my age. My therapist tells me I should learn to look for the positives in things, so the only way I really know how is by making light humor. This was the early 90s, and I was about 16 going on 17 working as a regular babysitter in our neighborhood. My parents had decided that the only way I was going to get a car would be if I was the one that saved up for the down payment. So every afternoon after school, I would tutor kids or watch babies. Whatever I could do to earn a few extra bucks. There was one couple, the Moors, that always paid exceptionally well. And on Valentine's Day, they had a special request for me to watch both their six-year-old and their ten-year-old so they could go enjoy a romantic evening together. We will be back by eight, they said, and gave me about $50 just for ordering pizza, renting movies, and whatever the kids wanted to do. I asked them both what they wanted, and they both chimed in with a request to go to the local video rental store. I knew that Blockbuster was not extremely far, but I insisted that I did not want to do that until I got confirmation from their mom. This being the age before everyone had cell phones, I had to look up the phone number in an actual phone book and call the restaurant they were at. Those two boys were so eager to hear a yes from their mom I thought they might explode from excitement. It took about 15 minutes for me to finally get in touch with their mom who seemed a little frazzled that the only reason I was calling was so that we could go to Blockbuster. Yeah, that's fine, just do not spend all their money. And nothing rated R, she responded. When I told them, both boys squealed and ran to get their jackets. We left the house before it got dark and made it to the rental store in less than 10 minutes. Not surprisingly, it was empty save for the cashier and maybe one or two other customers. 
Go and pick out whatever you want, I told them as I grabbed some candy bars and popcorn. The oldest came back, first with a VHS of some Disney sequel, and asked if this was okay. I told him yes, and then asked where his brother was, only for him to be surprised that I did not know. Both of us went down the aisles looking for him, and for a split second I got scared thinking he decided to play some terrible prank and run off. Finally, though, I saw him standing near the edge of an aisle, talking to a tall, lanky man wearing a trench coat. As soon as I saw this guy, I got a weird vibe and grabbed the younger boy's hand. Sorry, I hope he wasn't bothering you, I nervously told the stranger. He smelled funny, as if he had not taken a bath in a while. He had this weird, crazy look in his eyes that told me he was trouble. It just had a feeling. I desperately wanted to be wrong about it, so I yanked the kid away and berated him as we made our way towards the cashier. What were you telling him anyway? I asked. Just that we were renting some movies and that we were home alone, the kid said innocently. I couldn't tell you why, but alarm bells did not go off in my brain right away. But I guess I was too busy paying for the movies and dragging them out of the store. When we were walking back toward the house, it finally registered what he told me. Did the man ask you if you were alone? I asked. My heart was starting to beat a little faster, but I did not want the kids to think I was worried. Out of the corner of my eye, I thought I saw someone following us. Yeah, he seemed friendly, asked a lot of questions about me, the younger boy responded. I picked up the pace and told them we need to hurry back to their house. I was positive now that we were being followed. I remember I looked back several times to see where this man was, but every time, it felt like it was just barely out of sight. He was a master of stealth. Once I was inside their house, I slammed the door shut and locked it. I chided the kid for being so stupid. Don't ever talk to strangers. That man could have done some serious harm to you. I remember thinking I should punish them by having them go to bed early, but I had no idea how right I would be about that. I glanced out the windows to see if I could spot him, and calming down, I went ahead and let them pick a movie. I was also trying to convince myself my paranoia had just been that. Less than 10 minutes later, we were watching the Angels in the Outfield movie. I heard a knock at the door, and that made me realize maybe I had not been cautious enough. I went to the front and peeked through the blinds, curious to see that no one was outside. My heart was pounding now as I thought I saw the man in the trench coat standing over near the bushes. I immediately told the boys to pull the blinds closed and then to turn off the lights. Next, I started to hear this stranger banging on the windows with what sounded like a stick. Was he just trying to frighten us? If so, he was doing a stellar job because I was terrified. Turn off the TV for now. Let's go to the bedroom, I said. I remember that the Moors had a house phone up in their master suite, so I was calmly trying to herd the kids there as this wacko kept rattling against the outside of the house. These kids were quite scared now, especially the youngest. He was crying. Be quiet. Don't be scared, I told him. As we ran up to the bedroom, I told them both to stay as quiet as they could as I reached for the phone, only to find the line was disconnected. This is the moment when a real sense of panic and dread was starting to overwhelm me. It was just past 6.30, meaning their parents would not be home for at least another 45 minutes, and now the phone lines are down. I was positive that this stranger was going to try and break in and do his harm. Still, I insisted that they needed to remain quiet and calm. I got the older one to assist me in moving furniture to the front door as a blockade, just in case this guy broke in. It is a good thing I did, because 20 minutes later, 
I heard the shattering of glass and realized that that's exactly what he planned to do. I told them both not to make a sound as I tried to listen where the stranger was. The one thing about the whole experience I will never forget is that the stranger started to whistle for us like he was looking for a dog. It was loud and sharp. It was an insistent whistle and he kept saying, Here boy, here boy, come here boy. I swear I've never been more scared in my life and I ordered the boys to hide under the bed as the footsteps came up the stairs. I was sure we were about to die. It happened just like a horror movie too. He was standing outside the door because I could see the silhouette of his shadow peeking under the master bedroom door. Then, the blockade of furniture started to rattle as I heard him fiddle with it. He shook it violently for a while, but to no success. Then another long, indescribably quiet moment. I thought maybe he had given up. The kids were trying their best not to squeal or scream or even cry, but it was so hard to be perfectly still. At any second, I knew he was going to be back. Then, he slammed his body against the door, and it came slightly ajar. I remember jumping and holding the boys closer as he did it again, and then again, until at last, he could squeeze in past the wedge furniture. All I could see was his shoes, leather boots that looked coated in mud. He walked slowly over to the bed and sat down, perhaps puzzling over where we were. He started whistling again and I had to cover the younger boy's mouth as he let a leash fall over the ledge of the bed. Did he know where we were? What sort of weird fetish was this supposed to be? He walked around the room, moving to the closet first and checking for us there. Then we heard the garage door downstairs. I have never been so happy. Immediately the stranger ran down and I heard shouts of alarm as Mr. Moore likely saw him escape. A few seconds later, Mrs. Moore was in the bedroom frantically searching for us and calling out for her children. I crawled out first and helped the youngest get out as she grabbed him and hugged him as tight as possible. Downstairs, Mr. Moore was trying to get the landline again to connect the cops, but it did not work. Honestly, I thought the crazy guy was going to come back and do us harm, so I did not even want to step outside the house until my own parents came to pick me up. Mr. Moore told me that I was very brave and paid me extra for helping keep his kids safe. My parents also told me I had acted swiftly and decisively, and it could have turned out a lot worse, but I did not feel immensely proud. I had trouble sleeping for a week or so after. Any sound of a dog barking or a whistle would trigger the memory and make me want to curl up in a ball and hide. I can honestly only share it now after all these years, thanks to a bit of therapy. Sometimes I do think about what could have happened. Still though, if those parents had not shown up early, he would have harmed us or probably killed us. The cops never did catch whoever that guy was, so I guess we will never know. Except at least I know I stopped babysitting for the upper class after that. Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true Valentine's Day horror stories. If you enjoyed these stories, please be sure to hit that like button as it helps me out a ton in the YouTube algorithm. If you're listening on iTunes or another podcast platform, please be sure to give me a 5-star rating as it truly helps the show grow. If you're new to the swamp, why not join us? Hit the subscribe button and turn on notifications to never miss a new video as I upload them almost every single day and all things natural and supernatural. As always... If you have a story that you would like to share in a future video, 
be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I'd love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. It's stories like yours that truly help keep this show going. If you'd like to support the channel outside of hitting that like button and subscribing, maybe check out the merch store. I have face masks, shirts, hoodies, and more. I'd love to know what story you guys all liked the most tonight in the comments down below. I enjoy the conversation that gets started during these videos. It's a lot of fun down there. If you guys aren't aware, you can download and bring your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories with you everywhere you go. You can download them absolutely free from iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and just about everywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. And like I said, it's absolutely free and always will be. Thank you guys, as always, for supporting the swamp the way you do. I couldn't do this on a daily basis without you all. I'll see you guys soon with another creepy video.